hearty welcome to The Ducket List, a hundred natural conversations you will want to hear to help you thrive. Just before we get going, I wanted to give a nod to our fabulous sponsor, Anola. That's O-N-O-L-L-A. You can find them on your favourite browser. Anola is the one-stop shop for seasonally-led, natural, organic and sustainable beauty, well-being products and curated-themed gift sets. Thank you very much, Anola. My guest today is Vedic meditation teacher Gillian Lavender. And yes, I did say Lavender. She could put anyone's mind at ease about all things meditation, mindfulness and consciousness conundrums. Whatever your thoughts are on these topics, this is worth a listen. I had a great time talking to Gillian. You guys are going to love it. The listening rituals of modern intelligent women have for years been one of humanity's great mysteries. Fortunately, now, females have an authentic podcast where natural conversations can grow and flourish. Welcome to the Ducket List. Gillian, Gillian, hello, welcome. Susan, Susan. <laughs> you liked that little intro, didn't you? Wow, I was sort of, I was spellbound. I was like, whoa, on the edge of my seat. So took you to the farm, <laughs> took you to the bosom of nature. Well, look, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It is such a pleasure, such <laughs> a thrill for me personally. And while I have handpicked what I think some of the best people in the business, the, the well-being business and the self-care, mm-hmm. self-development business. I, you know, what you do um, in your professional world is is thrilling to me and has, thank you, partly changed my life. So I just wanted to get that Aww. in early. But I also wanted to get Wonderful. in early. People, you know, guys, I know that you're listening to this and please, the ones that have treat the word meditation a bit like some people treat the word veganism or... Uh, mm. self-care or all those kind of things D- don't turn off because you know this podcast is all about honest and natural conversations and keep with us because Gillian what I'm finding since being a meditator for about three years now it's a very emotive word meditation isn't it it, it can yeah. I find it I get quite a bit of stick or almost the mickey taken about oh that weird, weird meditation thing do you as a meditation teacher do you get that <laughs> Yes, <laughs> in a word, yes. And it's interesting, you know, because here we are in this day and age and it's so much more in the mainstream. I mean, it, the word is, is out there in a way that it wasn't when I first started teaching 17 years ago. And when I first started meditating 25 years ago, you know, it um, it was very, very fringe. Um, it, it's amazing to me that still in this, day and age with the amount of scientific evidence that we have about the effects of meditation that there is still this confusion and this misunderstanding and you know it's changing it's changing it's it's interesting though because you know what we do have today are more options we have apps and we have guided youtube videos and we have so many more ways for meditation related knowledge to get out there and on one hand I think that's fantastic on the other hand it does create the potential for misunderstanding and confusion and for some of these 
things to stick and and not really get cleared up. So it's a big part of what I find myself doing is really debunking some of these myths, uh, these misconceptions about what meditation is and how you know how we do it and how easy it is and how it fits with modern life. And you know that you know as a family and you you can make it work. And uh, so yeah, fascinating really. But we're in that. It's a sort of a, a double-edged sword. There's there's more out there, which is fantastic, and actually that can create the opportunity for a little bit more dilution of the knowledge and confusion, mm. which is what I see. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I've raised more eyebrows by saying to a group of friends, "Oh, excuse me for you know half an hour or so. I'm just just got to pop out and meditate." You know, I'd get less yeah. less eyebrows raised if I said just nipping out for a couple of cigarettes or oh just popping, yeah. popping down the pub at lunchtime for a few pints. You know, I'd be, oh yeah, okay, see you later. Just going to meditate yeah. is like what? Whoa! And you mm. actually you've actually announced that, and you know, other than disappear for half an hour, sometimes you need to give people a bit of a heads up. But and I have found yeah. myself saying, "Oh, I just got to go and do some emails. I've got to go and do work to sort of cover up the fact I'm going off to meditate." And it's just I just find it quite bizarre that 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 reaction is still alive and well. And when you talk about this, let's say smorgasbord of meditation options now. We'll mm-hmm. get on to Vedic, which is your particular style of meditation. But do you think there's better types of meditation than others? There are, you know, beginner's meditation or you have to be good at meditation to learn to meditate. You know, how does that, mm-hmm. where does the world of meditation knowledge sort of start, middle and end? Or is it all a matter of choice? I think the first thing that I would say up front is that not all meditations are the same. And this is a very important point that not only is the practice itself different according to different styles, but the effect that it's having is different according to different styles. And we can see that when we look at meditators practicing different techniques and they're hooked up to and EEG, and we look at what's happening in terms of their electrical brainwave patterns, we can see that, oh, somebody who's practicing a concentration-based technique where they're focusing and their attention is sort of put onto a particular object or concept or their breath, that's going to light up certain parts of the brain. If we look at somebody who's doing what we call an open monitoring awareness technique, which is also known as a mindfulness-based technique where the attention is wandering, a different brain signature will be seen and different parts of the brain will be activated. And then when we look at Vedic meditation, which is the oldest technique that we have in, in the world that I teach, that's delivering a different brain Uh, signature again so firstly we have to get clear and this is part of that educational process and recognizing that they're not all the same and they're not going to have the same impact as a result of that now is there value in everybody taking a moment to put the phone down and instead of just you know sitting down on the public transport and you know, bringing up their device, they actually keep it in their bag and they sit there and they close their eyes and they tune into what's happening to their breath and their body. Even if they do that for 60 seconds, is that valuable? Yes, absolutely, it is valuable. And anybody can do that. 
uh, I think so. I'm I'm very open to people starting their meditation journey at whatever point feels accessible and easy for them. What I do think is a watch out with all of this is that often, and this happens a lot, people will come to me and they say, you know what, I tried to meditate. <sighs> And it just didn't, I couldn't sit there. It's not or me. I just it's had, not me. Yeah, I had so many thoughts and I just couldn't, I couldn't control my mind and I couldn't focus and all of this stuff. And and that's where it starts to become really significant in terms of what you're doing. Because if, if you say to somebody, I want you to sit there for 10 minutes and Stop thinking. Just you know, push away the thoughts. I mean, my God, you just—it's impossible. It's not mm-hmm. how the mind works. Mm-hmm. So many people, having tried some sort of difficult process, you know, taking a lot of effort, they kind of come through that and they they think, well, oh gosh, maybe it's me. You know, I'm failed meditator. I or this is, you know, there are meditation types, and I'm not one of them. And yet they get a sense and they read about it enough and they hear about the celebrity that's doing it and they, yet again, they get this message, oh, wait a minute, meditation is a game changer, you know, and and they know that there's something there and yet they feel like they are failing. And then when they come and they learn how to do it correctly and they learn how to, what I mean by that is they learn how to work with the nature of the mind, not against it, then they are like, oh my God, this is easy. You know, this works. I can do this. I'm noticing changes. I want to do this every day. I remember a woman I taught. She was, what, she was, must have been like 69, maybe 70. She she said, look, I'm a bit of an old hippie. You name it, I've done it. Mm-hmm. And she tried so many different things. Her daughter had learned to meditate. And had noticed such changes, and she, the mother had noticed changes in her daughter. So she came along, and she had, a, you know, had done all sorts of things. And I remember vividly. She came out of her first meditation with us in that first session, and she just she said her first words were, "It's so easy," and all this other stuff that she'd been doing in comparison was really hard work, and. Then when she found, you know, that there was a, a different way to approach this, it all clicked and it all changed. Now, so what? this is a long-winded answer, but I think, you know, I always celebrate when somebody makes a decision to investigate this knowledge and start to play around with this. It's great. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we do need to... And this is what's so great about this podcast and this kind of the work that you're doing and you being an exponent of this is that we start to get this message out there in a way that is actually correct and um, stands up to the test of science is that they're not all the same. And we need to be clear about that. Mm, and I, I am totally with it. And I, and I love the way you talk about these sort of watchwords and, and, and the ease and simplicity. And that's actually what appealed to me because like your, um, your lovely lady you've just been talking about, I, for 20 years, tried so many different types of ways just to 
calm my monkey mind down you know like a lot of us find it used to find it a lot harder to just kind of just be at ease with your mind all the jumble Mm. all the noise all the lists you make you know all of that kind of strangeness that goes on up in our minds and what I loved about Vedic and am I is it Vedic or Vedic by the way Vedic. Vedic. Good. I said it correctly in the first place. So what I loved and what appealed to me, and actually when we first met a few years ago on a panel, it was quite a heavy going Mm. panel. Do you remember we were talking about um, this? Oh, the subject was, was, uh, I think it was suicide and depression in teenagers. So not Mm, a light topic. And I just loved Mm. though that you still had a lightness of touch with such a, a huge, difficult subject. And, and so that first attracted me, but what really attracted me to this form of meditation was the fact it's for householders as you call it so normal people yeah. with normal busy lives you know I didn't want to be a sitting cross-legged burning incense um listening to sort of you know special spiritual music in the background I wanted to be that person on the underground <laughs> doing a meditation that I could actually yeah. achieve in some way shape or form that had good effect I wanted to be that person that could nip out or you know my daughter read a book on the sofa next to me while I'm meditating I didn't want it to be something special (laughs) do you know what I mean so so I would put to you the the different forms and how um how I've, I've had a couple of people say to me oh, is that that meditation where you have to pay loads of money to get a word with the Vedic? So mm-hmm. t- t- tell me a little bit about the the, the, the mantra and this, the, this meaningless sound that we use to, to mm. help guide the mind. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, well, I think it's interesting that you use that um, terminology of the monkey mind because, again, you know, it, it's something that we hear a lot of and often that, metaphor is used in a way which isn't um, perhaps as as tight as it could be. So what is important for the mind is when I say work with the nature of the mind, that means give the mind something that it wants. Now what your mind wants at any moment in time is something that it perceives to be fascinating and charming. Even if you're thinking about something crappy and and difficult, it's in aid of solving that and arriving at the bliss that lies on the other side of that, the solution. So our mind is constantly moving, constantly moving. There's that sort of the mind jumping around like a monkey sort of thing. However, you know, if you want to catch a monkey, you don't get out there and start climbing trees and trying to bash it with a stick and trying to, you know, (laughs) force it down into it. It doesn't work. (laughs) You know, what do you do? You know, you put some bananas down at the base of the tree and, well, there you go. You've got monkeys all over. And what we want to do is we want to give the mind that which is charming to it. Now, this is the point of the mantra, and the mantra is a sound and it, I use that word specifically because it's not a word. It doesn't have meaning. Doesn't have a literal meaning. It doesn't have a connotative meaning. It's a vibration, and it's a very specific vibration that is chosen for you by the teacher that resonates with your vibrational quality. And so it has a very particular function. And it's interesting when we break down the word mantra, mum, M-A-N, comes from manas, which means mind in Sanskrit. And tra, T-R-A, means a vehicle or an instrument. So it's a mind vehicle, like the mind hops onto it 
and it takes a dive because inbuilt into the vibrational quality of these primordial sounds is this self-refining mechanism and so it becomes fainter and fainter and fainter and fainter and very, very, very faint till it's almost gone. And so as a meditator, my mind is drawn to this because those very faint, subtle layers of cognition are extremely delicious for the mind. And the mind is drawn in not because I'm trying to beat it over the head and force it into submission, but I'm actually being drawn there by something which is very fascinating and very enticing for the mind. And so as a meditator, it's it's just a joy because I don't have to do anything. You know, the mantra is sort of doing it for me. These sounds are, are very precious and they're not sounds, you know, there are different types of mantras. You, you might see Buddhist monks sitting there chanting or some, you know, working with their, their malas, their, their beads, and chanting through um, this particular types of mantras. That's not what we do. You know, we, we use in this householder technique, we, we think the sound silently, and the mind dives in and follows the sound. And it's interesting because sound is, is the most subtle of all of the five senses of perception. So it's a very easy way for us to settle down into those very quiet layers of the mind that we don't normally access when, as you say, we're racing around and we've got our to-do list and we're worrying about something and, and we're, the mind is very active. This takes us down to the very, very deep layers of the mind and then the mantra disappears and then we, we drop into that inner, pure inner serene blissfulness that is at the base of, of the mind at that least excited state of consciousness and and that's really interesting because as the mind is in that very settled state then the body begins to rest very deeply and and you've heard me say this many times you know it's within a few minutes the body is resting probably you know up to five times deeper than sleep um so there you are sitting on the sofa and your daughter is next to you reading her book and you look like someone sitting on the sofa with your eyes closed. But if I had you hooked up to all the right equipment, we would see that your metabolic rate is many times deeper than your sleep the night before. So it's very powerful. And it's we're led by the mind and then the body follows. And that, and that to me is what's so beautiful actually about this. And, you know, I say to some friends, I just sit on the sofa for 20 minutes, nice and cozy. And mm-hmm. I just kind of surrender and, and do my thing. Yeah. There's no big deal. There's no big drama. And I think that's what um, a lot of people get confused about because so many people have said to me, including other sort of spiritual teachers, actually, and even some of the guests we've had on this podcast. No, you know, there's so many ways of meditating. You have to find your own. And as long as you go into a flow and you're in a flow with something, you can, you know, running could be your meditation or cooking or, you know, mm-hmm. skiing. And I don't know if I agree with that because for me it is the not doing and it is the the, this this that you talk about the the non-exciting because to me going out for a run looking at the trees and I'm too excited out for a run or I'd be too excited skiing that's not meditating to me so can you just tell Mm -hmm. what that difference Mm -hmm. for you in terms of not just the practice but what is going on between someone that thinks I'm in meditative meditative flow while I'm out jogging compared to me sat on the sofa with my eyes closed what what is the big difference yeah Let's use that as an example. I think it's a really good one, and I hear it a lot too. You know, oh, you know, I get to really switch off and zone out when I go for a run. You know, that's my meditation. And I go, no, it's not. It's, yes, your body is 
being pumped full of endorphins, which is your body's way of dealing with um, protective against you know pain and any damage that's being done. But essentially, what's happening when you're running? As human beings, the running function, as a running for pleasure or running for exercise, relatively recent development. Running puts the body into orients it into a fight flight mechanism, and and so the body does produce that those endorphins and. The body isn't thinking about the mortgage payment next, you know, month or the thing that that person said in that meeting yesterday. You're sort of you're in what happens when we get into that more of that stress reaction. You're into oh, I've got a tiger in front of me, so I'm sort of I'm not thinking about the past and I'm not thinking about the future. And so people say, oh gosh, that feels good. I'm really you know I can leave all those thoughts behind. However. What's happening in their physiology is the opposite of being in a hypo, hypo meaning low metabolic state that we experience in meditation. They're in a hyper metabolic state and often masking a whole lot of stuff that's going on in the physiology because, you know, they're all pumped full of those endorphins. So it's a different experience, but this is why people sort of get into that zone and that can be kind of a relief from all of those worries and all of the beating themselves up over the past. Now, it's very different to what happens when we sit down and we practice meditation in the way that I've been describing because rather than the body going into fight and flight, we're in stay and play. The body is in a whole different substrate of biochemistry. The body's normalizing dopamine levels. It's upping the serotonin levels. It's producing a very interesting neurohormone called DHEAS, which is associated with longevity and feelings of positivity. It's something that the body knows how to produce endogenously within. And so the body starts to produce that bliss chemistry naturally inside. And this is activated by the stay and play response rather than fight flight. And we're resting so deeply. Now, when the body rests, the body heals and the body purifies. And this is important because everybody's tired and everybody's carrying stress. And the only way that we can release that is to do the opposite of what happened when we got stressed and when we got overextended and worn out. We need to rest and we need to rest efficiently. And and this is what meditation is doing. So 20 minutes of that very deep rest. So you start to release the stress and you release the tiredness. And as you say, sitting down on the sofa, it's a relief. You don't have to do anything. For 20 minutes twice a day, you don't have an agenda. You don't have to be on and doing anything. You can actually let go. And it's that that is so profoundly different from going for a run for half an hour. Um and so, yes, you know, it's it's a, we're right to highlight that difference because, and I get it though. You know, people want they they are desperate in this in this very stressed and fear based environment that you know we're in. It's understandable that people are searching for these kinds of ways out. Yeah, and I, I mean, everything is, is something I experience. And I think, think for me, you know, call me selfish, but I was looking for quite a bit of an instant gratification. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, nothing wrong with that. And I did find yeah. on day three of, you know, one of the things that led me 
to your meditation and to your teaching was I was Mrs. Tired. No matter how many hours I slept, no matter, you know, how many massages I had or whatever, I was always knackered. And nothing I could do would solve that. And I have to say the non-negotiable for me about my daily, twice daily meditation, it's a bit like having a shower. You get out the shower and you feel clean, right? So you do it again. You do it again every day. And leaving home without a shower would be weird. So for me, meditating (laughs) would be weird because by day three of me meditating, the tiredness started to go. I mean, I mean, go. Um, And that to me has been amazing because it is really interesting how you say the difference is just a sort of a top line because we could talk for hours about this point in itself. But people don't people think, oh, that's fine. I sleep really well. I don't need to meditate. You know, it's fine. I get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. But it's a very different process, isn't it? And I just feel more refreshed, actually, sometimes often after meditating than I do waking up in the morning. You know, so it's to me, it's a no brainer. Excuse the pun. It's that release of tiredness is so Oh my gosh, it's so important because I always say, you know, to be tired is a very costly thing because nobody makes their best decisions when they're tired and nobody is their most responsive and available for others when they are tired. The opposite, actually. And 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 the other thing that happens, and, you know, you're, you're speaking to this point, you know, when you learn to meditate, it kind of it reveals the truth, you know. It reveals the true state of tiredness because what happens with all of the stress, all of the norepinephrine and the adrenaline and the cortisol is that that excitatory stress chemistry masks the true state of fatigue. So people are all sort of wired, but underneath it, they're actually quite exhausted. And it's interesting because so many people are having issues with sleep. Um, particularly I'm seeing more and more of it in this last 12 months because they, it's that stress chemistry is sort of getting in the way of them being able to settle down and fall into sleep. So the very thing that they need is very, very difficult. And, and so clearing out that excitation chemistry means that, yes, we can also clear out the, the fatigue that's sitting right yeah, and it's so important for our well-being and our mental health and just our joy in life, you know, um, because nothing feels joyful when you're exhausted and knackered all the time. It's sort of like a slog, you know, oh, just let me get through this mm. week, you know, let me get to the weekend and oh, then I'll crash and, yeah. you know, then I'll sort of re- semi-recover and then I'll do it all over again, you know. And-, and, and you're really talking from personal experience, not just as a as a now meditation teacher and expert in Ayurveda mm-hmm. and, and health generally, but you were... A stress bag <laughs> and that's your yes. word right and also i believe were nicknamed vodka queen right so you, you, am i right am i right this, this is my oh my pro- gosh yes. it's all coming okay. this is like it is like a previous life you know it's all coming out it's things that um yeah yeah God. i mean i probably was the most unmeditation like um can they, I'm sure the heck needed it but i was you know i like a woman into yoga i wasn't into any of that i I was, um, yeah, partying, working hard, working across different time zones. I was, I was exhausted. I was always sort of in a fog of jet lag, and I was, I was just, yeah, I was popping, propping myself up with um, probably too much exercise and certainly alcohol, and I was 
my diet was not great and just you know it was it was just a kind of a whole combination of things that was completely unsustainable oh, but most people um, are still living with now I mean, that's the norm for most people yeah you know i think you know we all have to sort of you know we all do our best in any situation to try and work out well what's what feels right you know and and, and we're, everyone's doing the best and we've got to you know rem- be easy with ourselves in that regard but yeah I was um I was not in a great place and uh and I found out about meditation through a friend and it it was just a sort of an underlying sense of you know I trusted this person and I thought wow you know they're doing it and I knew that I needed to do something um and and what kind of got me over the line was the science I think I wasn't into anything ooty gooey and wacko weirdy you know I didn't want anything like that that's not my scene and so the fact that my you know when I went along to the talk in the beginning and he was normal and you know the other people in the room were normal and there was all the science behind it that was sort of like okay right I'm ready to give this a a go and then as you say that instant gratification it's it's not like you need to meditate you know for nine months before you start to see a shift you know you're going to notice changes in those first few days of learning and and that really powerful because then you're like oh wow I do this and this happens you know I get cause and effect I get to see an impact mm. so much so mm. that you married another meditator <laughs> yeah. tell me about that because we adore Michael yeah. as well and um yeah. for people that you know when you know we're, we're, there's always the information um the show notes really with what we talk about but with London meditation you co-direct that with uh, in London with and, in, and in New yeah. York with Michael, your husband. And, and I went mm-hmm. with my husband, who is also a meditator, to one of Michael's introductory talks. And we laughed. He really made us laugh. Yeah. Um, and we had good so fun. But th- I, I do want to know, what happens when two meditators have a row? Is it really calm <laughs> and chilled? Or are there fireworks? <laughs> um, it's a good question. It can be quite it can be quite intense in the moment. And the, I think the one thing I would say is, you don't hold on to it. You kind of move through it pretty quickly. It's like, okay. And then it's not like that sort of holding on to a thing. In that moment, if something's like is off where you need to, you, you can feel it, you say it. And then it's not like, you know, meditation turns you into some sort of zoned up bliss bunny, you know, and it's like, Definitely hey, not. man, <laughs> we're meditators and, you know, we're not, you know, it's not, it's not, we're not making a mood of it. So, yeah, you know, if I'm, pissed off about something or you know there, there might we we have those interactions but what I would say is you're not in the grip of that you know 10 hours later you know we, we kind of move through it quickly and 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 move move on with whatever else we're dealing with so there's an honesty about it and there's a sincerity about it um and a feeling about it it can be sometimes a strong feeling but there's not that sort of clutching on and that, that holding on to it in a way that's actually not that helpful. Mm. That would probably be the thing that I noticed the most. Yeah, that's not But, yeah, up. we we have a, a you know, Loie, our daughter, she's seven. We are partners in every sense. of and, and, you know, as you know, you know, working with your partner, that's, you know, that's a particular thing in itself. Mm. Um, we met in India through... Michael was living in LA and we had the same meditation teacher that we learned from. So then he moved to, to London and we started um, London Meditation Centre. And I had been doing some previous 
work with my other hat on, my publishing hat. And so I'd been going to New York and I'd be sort of teaching people on the side. And then the New York stuff grew from there. And so we have a pretty big base now in New York, although we haven't been there for the last few months, obviously. Um, but I enjoy teaching there as well. A lot of people there that are you know, very open to this kind of knowledge mm, um, very, as well. Do they have different um, mantras? Because they'll have a very different resonance, won't they, New York to London? Or is it fairly much for muchness? Same sort of, same pot that we're drawing from. Um, yeah, but they, you know, they're interesting because I think a lot of people there are um, perhaps more used to working with a therapist mm. or being in a 12-step program or whatever. So there's a... Um, Certainly, what I sense, and just culturally, you know, you know, you find their whole life story in the first five minutes. You know, they'll start talkers, and they'll they'll tell everybody about it, which is, you know, I like that. It's refreshing, and um, so yeah, they seem to embrace this and be really open, and and I see that here as well. And the thing I love about, you know, London is is the diversity. You know, we'll have a room full of you know twenty five meditators, and they're from all over. You know, it's. Um, I love that also. Mm. Great mix of people. And yeah. talking of love, you've just mentioned her, but your daughter, so gorgeous. Yeah, so Loie. Yeah. yeah. No, but she came into your life a bit later, didn't she? So is that she something did. that you think yeah. motherhood a bit later in life was, uh, how's that experience been for you? I think it's on the plus side. I mean, I was, you know, in my mid forties when I can, when I conceived and I'd had, a, I'd, you know, we've been trying and I'd had some miscarriages and, you know, I just, I had this sort of sense that, um, I know that I, I was, it was going to happen, but I, you know, it sort of got to a point where I thought, oh, maybe it's not going to happen. And then it mm. happened. Um, and so that was a, you know, a lovely, um, experience for us. And I, she was floating yeah, around waiting for the right moment. Waiting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think I had, I'd picked a few things off my list by the time I got to that point in my life and I had, and so there was a, a readiness and a kind of, I, you know, I was, um, I embraced it in a way that, you know, it wasn't certainly in conflict with me trying to achieve other goals. I'd, I'd done a lot of that other stuff. And so it was like, wow, you know, this this is happening and what a blessing. Of course, physically, you know, having a kid when you're 46 is, um, but that, that's, you know, that's been a big thing for me, I think, of meditation for sure. And, and again, the research shows, you know, meditation is going to have a very profound and positive impact in terms of your biological age. Um, and the research is clear on that. You know, it really slows down the aging process because there is less stress and wear and tear on the system. And I, I could really feel that at a, at a subtle level in terms of going through an experience like that. Although, you know, physically it's, it is demanding. Um, and, yeah, so it's just, you know, the way it worked out. Um, but it's... It, it's been a real joy and, uh, mm. and she, continues to be. Is she meditating yet? Because so you say she's seven. Yeah, she does. She does. So Loie learned a little bit earlier, perhaps just because she's sort of immersed in it and she sees it all the time. Um, so she probably, she received her first um, mantra, we call it a word of wisdom, when she was about four and a half. 
Um, and at that age, it's super relaxed. You know, as you know, it's you know, they have their little word of wisdom. They can do it with their eyes open. So she might be scooting down the street on, on the way to school and she might be thinking her word or she'll be trying to fall asleep and she's have you know, she's a bit jumpy and she's and I'll just say, Okay, you know, think your word and she'll do a little bit of that, maybe a few minutes or so. So it's we don't push it on them at that sometimes she'll come and sit next to me when I'm meditating and close their eyes and do a couple of minutes and then scoot off, you know. Mm. Um, when they get a bit older, ten, eleven, then they can sit and, you know, with ten minutes mm. and they close their eyes and, and then we kind of build them up you know every time they have a birthday they get another minute kind of thing I know um, but it's, it's interesting though I hope because my daughter um, as you know she came and did the training and she enjoyed yeah. it and she learned a lot but she doesn't practice and I, I think I mm. emailed you once saying oh what shall I do she won't meditate mm. I hope she's mm. not going to be like Safi from um, you know because I'm not a, like a <laughs> bully drinking you know ma- I, I don't want her to reject all these things that I've learned later I hope she embraces them do you and I know you said to me, leave her be. She'll, you know, yeah, the tools yeah, yeah. in the toolkit and she'll pick it up when she needs to. Um, yes, I really, I you know, I think rebel. about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, just think of it, you know, like a seed. The seed has been planted and it's just, it's there underground and then when it needs to come up. And I think the, the most important thing with children is that we don't push them into something and you know, they feel like, oh, this is something I have to do because they'll push back, you know, and then they will resent it and they won't want it. When they're ready, they'll come to it. But that seed is there. And when they see you meditating and they see it as a normal part and parcel of life and they, you know, as one of my students um, said to me, you know, her her kids will call her out if she hasn't meditated. You know, like, Mummy, did you not do your meditation? You know, she said, she, I, I, you know, a few swear words came out and she was like, oh, Mummy, I didn't think your meditation was working this morning, you know, and it was like, she's like, oh, God, you know. Um, so just be easy with it. She's got it. And, you know, she chose you for, for all sorts of reasons and part of it was knowing that she was going to have access to – wisdom and when she's ready she'll mm. she'll come to it i hope so mm. because the the well i mean the gen x's are definitely spending a bit more time and money actually on their well-being so i'm um, but the te- yeah. because of tech is such a big part of our lives and as you know i'm very much mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. This, a little bit like our nutritional diet needs to be balanced our digital diet needs to be balanced and i really think these kids are going to be in big need of some offline meditation yeah. slash mindfulness slash nature slash anything that resets them from the vibration and the intensity of technology so please keep yeah. up the good work and and encourage you know everyone and anyone to to come along you know hold it lightly as I like to say and just enjoy it because for me it is just an excuse to get some shut eye (laughs) without actually sleeping and and I and I just love it um any other um as we sort of drawing to a close we could talk for hours and and you know it's just what's so wonderful by the way which I love about what your teaching does is once you have and you know if you're listening thinking I quite fancy the idea of this but oh is it going to be one of those things like so many that cost you know a fortune is you mm-hmm. have a very democratic way of uh people affording yeah. it so it's based on your income isn't it 
being able yeah, to, to sort do, of a step scale, yeah. yeah, which is so wonderful because I know people from all walks of lives and um, have managed to make you know what you're doing accessible to them and useful to them. So it's wonderful. But I feel like I'm a member forever to this special club because obviously <laughs> you could, which is really special. Which you can after you finish paying your sort of fee. You then have yeah. you guys, and of course, you also do amazing retreats and and other things. Mm-hmm. But it is pretty much a, an ongoing thing, isn't it? That you do the introductory, you get your your mantra, and then that's it. You're set. Yes, I mean, I think it's the wonderful thing about this is that once you have this knowledge, you are self sufficient. Like my my goal is for not to create, you know, teacher dependency. I don't want someone to be dependent on me to be in the room in order to be able to settle down their nervous system and release that stress and tiredness. I want them to have that self-sufficiency. And so when you learn this, you have a natural, easy technique for life and you can do it every day. And it is easy to fit it in and it's, it makes all of those those benefits come to life very quickly. And those compound and they change and they develop over time and so sometimes people will come to us and they learn and they go off into their busy lives and we don't hear from them for like years and then they'll pop up somewhere and we're like oh how's it going and they're like oh great you know couldn't do without my meditation you know it's just like as you say brushing your teeth having a shower you know you feel better everyone else feels better that you've done it it's fantastic and then other people avail themselves of the ongoing sort of support options that we have. And, and you know, you can come to an online group meditation. We're doing one tonight. Last week we had 180 people online all over um, London and Europe. And, you know, we check in and we go through some of the knowledge and we meditate remotely. And, you know, it's there for you as and when you want it. And so our commitment is, yeah, let's get you to that point of self-sufficiency in those first four days. And we're here as and when you want that support. And there are further things you can do. You can come on a retreat. You can learn, you know, an advanced technique. You can come and do an Ayurveda workshop. You can do stuff. And those are all optional things, mm. you know. The main thing is having the skills to be able to step beyond thought and settle down the mind and the body in that way. That's that's really the key to balance, in my opinion, and and we can see it. It's, it's so clear. And as you say, with life just ramping up in so many different ways, we need these tools in our toolkit. No. And if we're not taking care of our mind and our state of consciousness, then we will feel the tension and we will feel off and it will it'll be a strain and and absolutely and on that just um again while we're trying trying to get as much from you as I can while I've got you but you've you've written a book during you know covid time as well which is yeah so um can you give us any little nuggets a little sneak preview of what we can expect from that you know it's a lot of it, it it kind of goes to the heart of what we've been talking about. I've been wanting to write this book for a long time. Congratulations, it is, by the way. It's you know people think you. books just appear and the words just fly onto a page, but yeah. it is like another um, birth. So well done. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I um, it feels like that. It's um, but it's um, it's a it's a why meditate 
book. That's really the key to this. It's not so many books are sort of saying, well, read this book and you will know how to meditate and you know, you'll get instruction and and from my perspective, actually we I cannot teach someone to meditate from a book. I we need to have that personal instruction. Um, what I do want to do is really start us having more informed conversations like the one that we're having about why meditation needs to be in the toolkit and what do we actually mean when we say meditation and why is it so important and fundamental in our lives. So I sort of talk through what it is and then most importantly why and there are 10 reasons that I highlight um, as to why ranging from why it will improve your sleep why it will increase your creativity, why it will slow down the aging process, and why it will help with peace in society, you know, at a broader macro level. So it's, that's kind of the run of it. And, and I hope that that, you know, really does inspire people to start to get on this journey and or if they're on the journey, keep going and, and keep, you know, investigating and learning. Well, yeah. I, I really can't wait to read it. I really can't. And uh, oh, thank you. I'm you know, very excited about that. So, well, look, will you please give my love to Michael? And, I will. Um, I will. We and will, love we'll, to all of your gang as well. We will. Absolutely. I will do. And um, if... Uh, if you're listening and you want to find out more, obviously you can jump on to the website, but also, you know, do have a little search on the London Meditation Centre. It is a really informative but simple website to navigate and find out more about what Gillian's doing. We will keep everyone posted this side, Gillian, about books and retreats and all Thank the other you. yummy stuff you're doing. And um, I look forward to seeing you and all the other apparently someone said the other week on the meditation your um zoom brilliant meditation on zoom it's wonderful um that, oh, they're, they're starting to get a bit cheeky aren't they like asking questions like are you a better meditator if you've got a beard i think you might i think you might introduce some more marriages through meditation you know You're the, like, we've, had a few, we've had a few i think this could be my sideline you know sort of the vedic Do, dating yes. kind of yeah oh i think uh, we have one baby that's come yeah we've done no. yeah yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh, that's yeah. wonderful. So you really are. You're not just you're not just a mantra <laughs> matcher. You're a, a, a marriage matcher and a baby maker. How wonderful. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, um I think you I think there might be some sort of yeah, you know, there's definitely something there's so many single people around Gillian. <laughs> and maybe they're Absolutely. single because they need to do some meditation. Um so yeah, you're kind of looking for like minded. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. I think you should do kind of, you know, a little matchmaking thing next uh, next summer or something in summer 21 when things return to some sort of new normality but that's yeah when we can that. actually get in the same room together yeah I know because the online dating I mean god forbid I ever you know thank god I'm not to do that mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem but I've been mean, online zoom meditating dating there's a ring to it there's got a ring to it <laughs> <laughs> we're on to something i think so well on that note we've gone from sort of you know the deep sort of amazing ancient tradition of vedic meditation to online dating so that's what you get on the ducket list um with my amazing very modern who well yeah. who keep ancient techniques down to earth and relevant for our modern day so thank you so much again keep up the brilliant work and we look forward to more updates soon Thank you, Susanna. It's just been a real joy. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And it's opened your mind. 
Another shout out and thanks to Enola. That's O-N-O-L-L-A. Enola is the home of seasonally led natural, organic and sustainable living, beauty and well-being. Thank you, Enola. And we have more podcasts like this one lined up with some super guests. So stay close, stay well and keep it natural.